crazy tales from audition to set, burying ourselves in mountains of debt, dealing with parents asking what's your plan B, Ollie and M discuss over tea, made to feel we're average at best, why is this industry such a fucking test? This is a podcast with occasional So, uh, welcome today to casting director Rachel Sheridan. It's me. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Um, you have been working in casting for a decade. I'm very old. Shall we go with decades? Yeah, yeah a solid go. decade. Yeah. <laughs> and during that time you've worked with various other casting directors before you um, went out on your own. I started off working as an assistant in Pippa Alien's office who does lots of the West End musicals. And then I moved over to working in TV with Rachel Freck, um, started with her assistant and her associate, and then on the last project um, that we did together, co-casting. And so, yeah, I mean, I stopped working with Rach about a year ago, but I've been working on my own stuff at the same time as working with Rachel for the last couple of years as well. Right. Um, but yes, I've been fully independent for the last year. How did you come to get into casting originally? Mm, so I went to, um, well I did theatre studies at university and then after university my first job was a runner on the first series of Little Britain. Um, but it was whilst I was doing that job um, that I decided I wanted to, wanted to audition to go to drama school. Okay. Um, so then I went to East 15 and did the postgrad. And then I gave acting a couple of years and realised it was far too hard and started thinking about other things I could do. Um, and it's, it's very common for casting directors to have come from yeah, an acting background. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, yeah, a lot of us. I think it's Especially the kind of younger generation. Definitely. And also I think it's when you're at school and you're younger and you know that you love drama, you love film, you love TV. You're not, back then, you know, you just weren't, you didn't have access to you know, the internet to know about other jobs. If your family weren't in it, which mine weren't, you, you you sort of just presumed that you then you wanted to act or direct because mm. you didn't really know about all these other jobs. Um, anyway, so realised acting wasn't working out, I was thinking about what I could try and do and then I'd started doing theatre reviewing for um, publications like uh, What's On Stage and British Theatre Guide, um, which was a way of getting to see plays for free really. Okay. And then a couple of people commented that I seemed to be more passionate about talking about other people's performances than I did my own. And I'd always had this sort of ridiculous memory for remembering actors. In, Were in you still technically an actress? I was still point. like technically for my tax return registered as an actor, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I was not really acting. Right. Um, so when I thought about casting, I thought to myself, I'm going to give acting another year, and then if it's not working out, I'll I'll start looking into internships. Um, and I probably just gave it another couple of weeks, and then really? I was like, oh, yeah, once I'm, I am quite decisive. So really, once that seed is planted, you I was like, what's the point in wasting time? Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. So then I, but it took eight. You know, I thought it was just going to be this really, really simple, easy decision. Right, I'm going to work in casting. Thought I'd assist for a year, and then I'd be a casting director. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. Well, first of all, you don't know what the job entails before you start doing it. Like I'm sure all the other casting directors you've spoken to, it's just so much more involved than just sitting in a room auditioning actors. Um, but even getting an internship, you know, it's a really competitive industry to get into and not many offices offer internships. So I think it still took about another six months before I got my internship at right. Pippa's. Right. Was um, that through a contact? No, it wasn't. No. It was through letter writing. You know, it was lots of letters. Um, oh, Which the guy in the next room... He's appalled at that. He's you disgusted. You did what? <laughs> you sent a letter? Uh, what about emails, Rachel? <laughs> I, thought, wow. I was trying to think, do you know what? Back 
then, 10 years ago, it would have still been a lot of letter writing as well as emails, I think. Um, so yes, I had to just wait for the opportunity to turn up. And then to be honest, once I got the internship there, then I, um, I followed that by doing an internship at the agency Curtis Brown, okay. just to be sure about what side I wanted to work on. Um, oh, that must have been really interesting to get. Yeah, and they were really, yeah, it was really interesting. And I went um, into, um, they've obviously got lots of different agents within the agency. And I went to, I interned in one of the busiest sort of agents offices. He's got lots of um, very high profile um, clients. And I got to do, at the time, just what was happening in the office meant I did get to go to like a couple of premieres and talk shows and things like that. And still, I knew I preferred casting, right. even with all that, the, that the glamour, glamour side of it. Yeah. You know, um, it's not as creative, is it? It's. I mean, there's definitely an element of creativity to it, but I, I think it, it's more business. Yeah. And to put it really bluntly, I think if you compare casting and agenting, do you want to buy actors or do you want to sell actors? That's really. Oh, that's really do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the act, the, the agencies are selling them, and we're buying, and it just depends on which side you're. More interested interested in, and I definitely think a good a good agent, as well as being very have kind of creative instincts, has to be a good business business mind as mm -hmm. well because it is a business, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that's not to say there's no business side on it from our point of view. There is, but um, we're a cog in a in a machine, and so lots of the other people in the machine would be handling more of the business stuff than we would. Right. You know, so, yeah, so that was my, my journey into casting. And once I'd made the, once I started to get my, my head in the door, I knew I'd made the right decision. There was no, there's not been any yearning to go back to acting at all. Was that like immediate that you felt that? Pretty quickly, actually, because yeah. I very quickly realised that I am, like, there was never a choice that I wouldn't work in this industry in some shape or form. That never changed for me. Okay. But I didn't have to be the one in front of the camera or on the stage to get that level of enjoyment for it. And also, if I'm honest as well, I started to realise, you know, when you start auditioning young actors coming out of drama school and you see the really good ones, I was able to look back on myself and be like, I mean, I was, I was good enough to get into drama school, but I wasn't as good as that. Right. You know, so I think I was able to even recognise in myself that... Uh, you know, it wasn't just that I didn't have family collections or the right agents didn't come to the showcase. Sure. But also, even with those things, I mean, yeah, I just don't think, you know, do, don't, do you I feel... don't think I, I hold up to some of the others. And of course, there's lots of acts in our industry that people can probably think of who aren't the best in the world, so I could have been one of them, but yeah. I wasn't. And sure. I, um, yeah, I really enjoy this side of things. And I enjoy the business side of it, which I didn't ever think. I thought I'd be like terrified of budgets and spreadsheets. Now you live for them. I can't wait. No. <laughs> Excel Sheridan, that's what they call you, isn't it? <laughs> they call me in the, in the biz. But you know, I don't, um, I don't, I quite like, I quite like, I'm very, organ you've got to be really um, organised to be a casting director and really methodical. Well, is it, like, uh, yeah, just are. in general. Right. I am. I am. <laughs> it's a very admin based job, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it is. Just to pick up on that point that you were saying about realising, having that realisation in yourself, mm. do you think that is something that other people should have more of in terms of the volume of actors that there currently are and I don't know, mm. I mean, because obviously it's even from when you started acting to now, oh, the volume so of actors has... Yeah. Is well, I think, um, yes, of course, mm. there could be lots of people out there that could have that realisation. But it's a, um, it's a realisation you have to come to yourself. Right. So nobody could have told me that before. You know, I remember when I was going to drama school or just before and 
you know, your kind of like family members or whatever would be like, well, how long will you give it? And I would just be like, forever. Mm. Nobody could have told me at that point that I, that I wouldn't have, have stuck with acting. Like, it was just my, my everything. Um, and then it's just mad that, yeah, literally just in like a split second, it's got, you know, like I said, I said this, I, some people were saying these things to me and I went, oh yeah, maybe I'll do this job instead. Yes, no, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Right. And I was just able to make, make that decision. I think if you, I mean, if you still wanted to act and you were a casting director, it'd be really tricky because all of a sudden you have those relationships with those hard to get to agents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're basic, you know, you're reading in all the time when you're doing auditions. Yeah. Often at read-throughs, not all the cast can be there if there's still another job. And, you know, I have found myself, you know, at a table read, reading opposite Dustin Hoffman. I mean, imagine if I still wanted to act, yeah. it would just be agony. Be Instead, all I was doing was just like praying somebody else could read that part so I could just sit back and enjoy. Right. Watching what the cast it? rather than feeling nervous. I did obviously feel nervous, you yeah, know, about, yeah, reading, about reading in. So. But it didn't ever make you think, oh, I wish I was back. No, not at all. Although so, I do see the odd casting director popping up in TV shows. No, it, yes. yeah, no, no. Yes. I've seen a few. Yeah, there's been a few recently. There has been a few recently. How do you, being on the other side and seeing that, and maybe you're seeing people that are coming in the room and you're, you know, you get to sit there after a, a decade, not you don't get to sit there, but you're sitting there after a decade of working in casting. Mm. How do you, it must, does it weigh on you that you're watching someone that you're like, oh, you, you, you're never gonna, you're yeah. never gonna kind of push through or have a sustainable career as an actor? Mm. Yeah, I do. I mean, sometimes there's a difference between someone just being, you know, in my opinion, not a good actor, and someone who's just like not right for that part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because someone who can, who is, you know, not every actor is Olivia Coleman and can play absolutely everything. You know, mm -hmm. lots of actors play within a sort of a color, a mm. color wheel. Totally. And um, so someone can come in and you can just be like, it's just not their role. You know, and because I was asking them to do a London accent. Also, I don't know. That's a good example. Actually, I was um, up in Manchester recently on the show on casting, and it's not set in Manchester but it films in Manchester so for some of the smaller parts we were auditioning local actors and it was okay for the odd actor to have a northern accent but we just couldn't have all our day players suddenly with northern accents because yeah. it just seemed a bit odd and um, a couple of the guys um, when, I, when I was getting into London accent it sounded like Dick Van Dyke and it was absolutely awful oh, so right. But I was able to recognise in that moment, oh, you're, no, that's not you. That's, it's the accent. It's the yeah. accent, you know, or, or the character's a drug dealer. And, you know, like there are some actors out there that can play that and it feels really authentic and they feel like the real deal. But obviously most, uh, not most, I hope all of the actors coming in aren't actually drug dealers. <laughs> so it's a performance. Although times are hard, Rachel. <laughs> it's but yeah, so I think, you know, there's the odd actor that, yeah, you write like, yeah, they feel legit, they feel like the real deal, but most of them just was, no, it feels like they're acting, you could tell they're acting, and again, that's the part rather than them. Yeah. And then, yes, of course, there are people that come in and you just think, oh, you're terrible. But that's not my job to tell them that. So of course. I obviously, I always give someone a couple of goes at a scene, especially when you're just coming in for a small part, when I feel like you've had a proper meeting and it's yeah. not been in, out, in, out, you know. Yeah, um, so I give them a couple of shots at it in case they were nervous or maybe they can just take some direction. Um, and then I probably um, make a note to myself not to bring them in again <laughs> for okay. me. Right. But um, yeah, it's definitely not my, my place to go telling them. Have, have there been the any examples job? of someone that you've met and been like, they will never work and then they've gone on to be like, not mm. even like huge name, but like, 
they've managed to get a yeah, fairly successful career. I can't think of them, and to be honest, that's probably because I would quite easily forget them. Okay. You know, like our memories, most, I mean, all cast and directors have got, you know, incredible memories for actors, yeah. but it's usually just you remember actors. At this point, when there are just so many thousands of actors' names in your head, it's probably just the, it's just the good ones you remember. Yeah. So if someone's done it, had a bad uh, Yeah, and I don't remember them until unless maybe, let's say they, they're, they're um, submitted again, and then I look at them and I think, oh, no, I've seen them before, they were good. Okay. That Then I would remember them rather than me, me Rather than an audition being so bad, it stayed with me, and then I sort of followed their career. Sure, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Have, have there been any examples of someone that you've been like, they are awesome, I'm definitely getting them in, and then you've got them in the room, and you, you've been like, what? That is oh. not who I've seen in TV shows or in film. Yeah, has there been any? That's a good, a quick, a good question. Um, let me think, I'll come back to you on that. But okay. I can't think if there's anyone who I thought was amazing on TV, and then I brought them in. And they haven't been. Okay. No, I can't think of that. So usually you feel like what you see is what you get in terms of if someone is has been if you've seen yeah. them be good. And the same, generally they'll come in and be good. Yeah, and in the same way, you know, if you maybe you haven't seen them on TV but you watch their show reel and there was stuff you like in the show reel, because I, I think you get quite good at filtering because you're when you're even when you're watching show reels, you know, you're having to watch so many so quickly. You're not just sort of sitting with a cup of tea and watching a nice six minute reel like skipping through to find what you need to find sure. so I think in a weird way it's part of how our cast and directors brains know how to filter very quickly so I think the thing is the more you're doing it as well the, the better you're you get it, you know, you know very so you get to know very very quickly if someone's right for the part or not especially with small parts um you can you can sort of work that out very quickly so I guess the only instinct that might happen the, the instance that that might happen would be if you thought they were really good and then you brought them in and they just weren't right, right for the role. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't that they were bad, they just weren't right. Okay. In terms of like the whole the volume of actors thing mm -hmm. and how much it's increased, obviously part of it is because, you know, the number of drama schools and training centres have gone yes. up. Yeah. Which in some ways is a good thing, but at the same time, uh, you know, there used yeah. to be like a conference of drama schools in yes. the UK and it was like 12 schools yeah. and mm -hmm. mainly people stuck to that and so that gave a certain amount of actors coming out. I don't know what no, you think I, about. No, I, I know what you mean. Also, even within the schools that were there, they've all added all these extra courses on yeah. them. I know that some, I, you know, you hear about drama schools that, you know, you audition for one course you don't get in for that, but they're having trouble filling the other course, so then they offer you that. And I think, I yeah, I think sometimes that's not really great, is it? Because drama schools are expensive to go to, and it can give someone a false hope of spending thousands and thousands on a drama course that maybe even not even be well that well recognised, because it's a newer course within the school as well. Um, and I think also it's a, it's, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because it, 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 in one sense, it's kind of saying whoever wants to be an actor can be an actor. You know, the world yes. is your oyster, which yeah. is a positive notion, but can is also... Is it realistic? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and also think of all the great actors out there that didn't go to drama school, you know, just went through, you know, just... Well, you know, my, my cousin didn't go to drama school and he's obviously yeah. doing pretty well now. Um, so I think and me, Rachel. I'm surprised that wasn't your. Did you your, your, did you, That wasn't your first. I actually assumed you went to drama school. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I mean, self-taught. Well, <laughs> I, I, you I did. did a, I did a year. Yeah. On a funny course. Yeah, I mean, I don't. There's no answer to it, though, is there? Because again, you know, when you're young and you want to, get, you know, you want to act and you want to go to drama school, there's nobody that's going to tell you. 
otherwise, and as long as there's always course, they just keep applying. But I think probably the dropout rate is quite quick, I imagine. Like, think of, um, you went to drums. I think especially you? when think you do post-grad courses. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think there's two of us still. Yeah, acting. and from my, okay, from my uh, post-grad course, actually. Oh, no, there's three, sorry. Actually, there are four I know that are still acting. Um, sort of to varying degrees of, of success, but you know, definitely getting like a couple of jobs. Yes, actually, that's quite. And then I stayed in the industry, so for post grad course, that's actually quite a lot. Yeah. And so you, you you touched on briefly earlier, kind of how you go about your casting process. Well, can you explain a little bit more about your process? Like, you get a you get hired on a job. Mm -hmm. um, what's the first thing you do? Then what's the like? Okay, take so a, take us through the whole process from. Signing on to a job right through to rap. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you some bullet points. So, press version. <laughs> yeah. So you you get a job and you've normally read. Um, do you have an agent? I do. Yeah. Okay. So Is that how you secure your work, or are mm, they more there for kind of contractual? Things? Yeah. So I've only recently signed um, with with them, and so. Um, um, I guess quite a few of my jobs have come from stuff I was working on in like pilots and development sure. before I before I went out fully on my own anyway, um, and obviously I've kind of work, been working in the industry for quite a while now, so I've various contacts. But they also set, have been setting me up meetings with production companies that I've not worked before, so that's sort of easier for me to get in the door. So at the moment, so far, it's been um, primarily projects that I um, was already sort of attached to and that but they've been a, they've been so helpful with you know doing the deal same as you guys yeah, you know, yeah. it's just much easier if you don't have to yeah. it's what you know a middleman there <laughs> yeah it's worth it's just worth it and also that they offer such they offer really good advice mm -hmm. as well um, and it's just nice feeling like again just like an actor really but like how you feel like you've got someone in your corner and you know if I have a question, I can, you know, I can I'll go and ask them. And have um, they got other casting director clients? Or? They, well, the agency have got other casting director clients, and then the agent I'm with um, has one other casting director. Okay. Um, who's more, a, a lot more established than, than, you know, I am. It's been out on their own for a long time. Um, give it time, Rachel. Give it time. Watch this space. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so you get a job and then um, you've usually read a couple of the scripts anyway ahead of the meeting. But let's just say that all the scripts are available now, so it's a six-parter. Yeah. You read through all those and then you can very quickly establish who your, your regulars are, any kind of key guests. And then um, I would always start working on those lists. And to be honest, I've already started thinking about those lists because often, often you have a meeting to get a job. So you've had to be thinking about that anyway in your meeting. Um, so I start. So they would ask you for ideas in your mm, meeting? Well, you just have to go in and discuss something. So okay. they're, not, they're not asking you to present like full documents, but they, they, it's very um, important that you're all on the same page sure. with how you see the characters and taste and all the rest of it. If you go in and you're like, it's got to be Lindsay Lohan in this role. Like, <laughs> no, uh, we were thinking <laughs> Olivia Colman. Yeah, but what Lindsay Lohan listening to this? <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry Lindsay. I love, love Lindsay. She's great. She was <laughs> a brilliant, brilliant in the actress. Trap. Yeah. <laughs> and many things since. <laughs> um, but yes, Olivia Colman and um, Lindsay Lohan wouldn't normally appear on the same suggestion document. Sure. Um, so you do those, and then you know, with a lot of the key 
and lead part. Unless they're unless it's sort of a young part, it'll probably be quite an established list of people you're really looking at anyway. Of course. But um, I personally um, still would put breakdowns out to agents um, to make sure I've not missed anybody, or there might just be people I haven't really thought of, and that kind of helps pepper those lists up a little bit. And then, um, then you sort of park your once you've got your list together for your regs and any kind of key parts, you don't worry about the smaller parts for, for, for a while. So then you get to start you know, bringing people in. Um, so again, I would normally probably discuss with the team those lists and who they had any kind of favorites or you know, they're allergic to yeah. uh, on that list. And then again, if there were some people who I thought they were missing, you know, because um, I don't know, when you're working on a comedy, sometimes if you're working with a, someone who's a, an actual comedian, their ideas tend to be very much oriented from the world of comedy and people they know within that world. Sure. And they're just not as familiar with this whole other world of people that might not be comedians, but have great comic timing. So that's your job too make them, you know. Open their eyes. Open their eyes and also it's, it's great for them, you know, that they always think it's, it's wonderful when you have like a real mix, like the show I'm working on at the moment, it's a real mix of like comedians and then also actors with comic timing that were new to the some of the team, but also a couple of people that were new to me, you know, established actors that I didn't necessarily know had that, that comic ability. Right. So you start doing your auditions and then, um, you try, and yeah, I mean, it varies from job to job. Some jobs it can see like it seem like you're seeing the world and its wife, but I think, you know, I'm just, I know the casting director said this as well, we are kind of glorified recruitment agencies in a way, so it's our job to whittle and show, you know, and it's not really a specific thing, but maybe like 10 actors for a part or something, rather than yeah. bringing in loads of people, you know, the producer, the director, they're all, um, really being stretched in lots of different directions that have time just to sit through loads of actors and they trust your ju judgment. They, That's they, why they, they hire you. Yeah, exactly. And occasionally they'll be like, oh, do you not think we should have seen, you know, and they'll, they'll make suggestions. You're, you're their Instagram, if you will. You're filtering. We filter, yeah, exactly. <laughs> filtering With the, the face tune of the, <laughs> the acting world. But you so, also kind of, I suppose, the fewer people you're suggesting in a way, you know, the more sure of yourself you're showing them that I, you are. Yes, you're right. If I'm bringing in loads of people, it's because I'm really not sure. And yeah. actually what I would do again not with leads because I would be more certain on that but sort of with with the let's say like your middle tier if there were some people that I just wanted to try out I just get I'd either do a day of what I call pre-screens and see lots of people for a few different things and normally from a day of pre-screens I'll probably find three or four from that whole day that I yeah. would then want to show the team um, or just a quick self-tape you know they will just show me okay yes no I was right they are they are they should come in for this or nope they're not right. Sure. Um, but obviously, so the amount of times that you can do that is going to be limited. It's limited because sometimes you're working on more than one project, and you know, um, as we're sort of discussing, like the, the admin side of it, it, it seems sort of so simple just to say you just think of some actors and you book them in for auditions, but. The admin side of it is just so heavy. You know, your availability doc documents are pages and pages long. You're aware of every other TV show that's filming out there, how everyone's been booked, the options everyone's got on every show. Because right. again, there's you know no point everyone falling in love with someone if they're hardly available. Um, but equally, once it gets down to like your middle tier cast and on, you're very you're used to having to work around other TV shows. So mm -hmm. everybody's in what you call the kind of compromised availability section. 
Um, so once you've done that with your leads and you're getting somewhere with you, with your leads, um, if it was something like, I don't know, when we did um, Tinstar with um, Rachel Freck and the two, two of the leads in that were youngsters, so playing age 16, 17, oh, I mean that went on for ages, you know, we saw loads and loads, loads of pre-screens, loads of self-tapes. Right. Um, so that process. And that was set in the US, right? It was so set in Canada, but these two characters were from England, oh, so okay. and they went over there. Um, so we saw, and you know, it's it's um, it's an extensive process when you do that, but it's also really useful. You know, it's a great way of just seeing loads Meeting and loads of, of actors, yeah. new actors. Yeah. Um, so that's really good. And then yeah, so then you sort of start getting your leads in place, and then you're moving on to your kind of more like maybe like guest roles and stuff. And sometimes I'm there crossing over, it's not as clearly done as like, right, all the leads are done, onto the middle part. But you just wouldn't, you, that's your priority at the beginning. Then you're auditioning for the middle tier of characters. And then towards the end of the process, you start seeing your all your day player characters, people that just crop up in, in one scene. And usually um, have they started filming by that point? Well, it or? depends. So if it's like a six-parter, no. Okay. Um, but also you you know it's difficult. You can't start cast. You can't leave it too late for casting because then you just lose all your department. I mean, it, very often with day players, anyway, it's just you in the room, and then you're showing the team. But they're quite distracted as it gets close to filming because right, there's a hundred other things going on for of them. Of course, yeah. But equally, if you start too early. I mean, these scenes come and go, so you're wasting your time auditioning for characters that are no longer in it. I was going to say, so, like, with the day player roles, and mm -hmm. the, the smaller it gets and the nearer to it you're getting, if they are running over mm -hmm. in terms of schedules and stuff, I mean, do they kind of leave you to it with the smaller roles? Yeah, they do, and then I just, so they leave me to it, and then I'll always just present the top, my top four, yeah. four or five. Again, just not wanting to distract them for too long, um, trying to make the best use of mine and their time. But and when they make those changes to the script then, like cutting parts and, and what have you, how regularly are you getting new versions, new drafts of the get script? get new versions, um, I mean, as you're getting closer to filming, maybe like between every five and seven days. Okay, uh, and are they movie. highlighting to you parts that have been no, cut, or do you have to go through and be like, oh, really. that's gone? They, yeah, they don't. I mean, sometimes they do. Um, or sometimes you're kind of given a heads up but yeah, normally, I mean, I have um, a final draft on my computer and they have this thing where you can like, you know, just list all the characters. Yeah. But I'm always so paranoid that what if it, what if something went wrong with it? So right. I always read, but I don't really, by that point I'm not reading, I'm skimming, like, and I'm looking. Yeah. Just looking for yeah, things, yeah. exactly. And I might just drop the, one of the production coordinator and email and just say, I'm, I've had a quick squeeze as far as I can see, these two have gone, this, is, that, is that what you think? And you know, just to kind of cover me. Confirm. Um, I'm quite fastidious, but I would just hate to. What if you missed a character? Um, and then when you asked if. And they're some, filming. They're like, "Where's the character?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. They're so mad. Oh, you know, everything's so frantic. Probably, you know, that kind of thing could easily go astray. And suddenly, you're being called to set. Maybe that's why these other casting directors are doing period. it deliberately. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> probably. Um, but when you said like, so when you asked the question about, are we sometimes filming? So yes, like if you did something in in blocks, so. I mean, you know, um, there there are these huge long-running series, but take, for example, what was the last one I did in block? So Flack, which is on TV at the moment, um, that was filmed in two blocks. So we did Eps one, 1 to 3 first, and then it was three, uh, 4 to 6. So with Eps 1 to 3, we cast all the leads um, and all the, obviously, part, every, every other part in Eps 1 to 3. Yeah. We did that with our first block director. Then the first block starts filming and while the first block is filming the second block director comes on board and you start casting all of the parts for block 
two. Now, inevitably, the second blocker is always going to be karma because you've got, you've your, got leads. your leads. Yeah. So that and that's always you know there's a lot of pressure on on leads with various reasons. So you now you're just doing all your nice guest parts and, and smaller players, and then just for anyone who's interested, <laughs> then when block two starts filming, block one director, block one goes into the edit. So block one is editing while block two is filming. And then by the time block one is film finished um, editing, block two is finished filming and they go into the edit. I guess that's to help them match tone and all that kind yeah, of Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a tough challenge, isn't it, for an, another director to come on? Because I, well, they'll have seen rushes, so they'll be, they'll be sensing the, the tone. And I have to say, I mean, I'm certainly not an expert when it comes to those things, but when I'm watching TV, I, I personally don't think, Oh, you can tell that was directed by a, a different block director. I, yeah. I can't tell. Maybe yeah. someone who is a director, you know, might. There, be there's to, been, I'll be honest. There's been a couple of shows where yeah, I never really noticed it. Can it can be really different. It, yeah, I think occasionally uh, because it's n yeah, there's something noted n noticeably different. But yeah, I think you're totally right. Generally, n no audience member is is sitting there watching the TV thinking. Oh, well, this is clearly a different direction. <laughs> no, I mean, with their mind, just <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I guess it's the same as scripts, isn't it? Like in these big, in the writers' rooms as well. Like sometimes, whose lines? Are like who's... with Grey's Anatomy, for example, which was used to be one of my favourite American shows. Like because it had been on for so long, I always, I'd always be like, I bet Chandra wrote that, and then at the end, she had because you You'd just be like, yeah, I know, I know my how Chandra. I go up. <laughs> you know, because you just from the beginning, you recognise that you, you know how they're kind of their turn of phrase or their, their beats and stuff. So, sure. but that is. That's a show that has been on for something like you know 400 episodes, so yeah. for quite Six, 16 seasons, isn't it? Now, yeah, I think it's on season 15 or 16, oh, yeah. Yeah. 15, 14, something like that. It's been on forever, but anyway, insane. So, with the blocks that you were talking about, so mm. say, um, so the block one was in, in the edit while they were doing yeah. two. It, at what point might you then find out if you'd had some actors who didn't make it to the edit in the we block don't one? Get, we don't really get told, no, no, um. No, or do if we do get told, and I can't, I'm struggling to think of some instances. Maybe we have been told, but we it's production. Once the deal is done with an agent, all their contact details and the agent's contact details get passed to production, and the middleman, us, is removed. So you know when it comes to arranging everything to like pick up times and costume fittings, all that mm -hmm. is communicated directly with them. So I guess if someone did make get make the cutting room floor yeah they would tell them but I don't no, think they Rachel, have to they do not. <laughs> that's very sweet yeah which is what I was going to say because I do also I said maybe they do but I also know actors who've been to screenings and yeah, oh yeah is that you yeah or just you've just gone to the cinema with their friends or yeah oh, or, you're, no. or, or you're like your parents watching they're like I'm waiting for you to come on you're like um, Joey didn't in happen episode to me. of Friends yes. yeah, yeah with, with his, his grandmother his yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I, I can't awful. it's happened so much I, and then I, they reenact the scene and they've been flat <laughs> yeah unfortunately I'm, most of the popcorn. people I know I'm not sure we'd fall for that otherwise but I'd probably be doing it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no I think I've spent more time on the cutting room floor than on Screen, and then, was. like you know, as well, if you've seen the footage, like I remember, I'd seen the rushes and something, and then I was like, "But could I just, could I maybe just get that footage?" Anyway, yeah, it's just see how real. Showreel, you know? yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah, because insane. usually, I mean, um, that's the thing, isn't it? Often, if you're not a um, Sometimes if you're only just up can be massively cut down as well. But when it comes to editing, it's um, it's never personal, and it's like what serves the story. Yeah, we've got to lose five minutes. Totally. That scene was a nice idea, but it doesn't serve the story. Yeah, you know. 
plus his face is weird. <laughs> That's what I think, anyway. <laughs> it's personal, okay? Make sure don't try and tell me otherwise. <laughs> Who says actors are neurotic? Yeah, exactly. Me? What? No. Do you always feel like you're able to cast it as wide as you'd like to? And does it kind of differ on, say, like if it's bigger projects, you know that you're probably not going to get as much of a say, so maybe you'll keep it smaller? Um, no, um, I do find, find because the internet is, is so helpful now with spreading that net widely and the emergence of self-tape, which, you know, I don't think should ever replace the audition process, um, but for, it's, you know, when you bring everyone, if you bring in an individual in for an audition, not like you know commercials where you can get them in and out. They're definitely in the room for ten minutes, and maybe within the first minute you're like, oh, they're not right at all. Yeah, and you have to go through it with the self tape very quickly. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you know, even on stuff like you know, so um, in my skin, which I did for BBC um, Three, that the pilot, that was a net that had to be cast wide because we wanted to discover some like nice young people. But I was pleased that they said that they wanted genuine. <laughs> Hey. They love it. They love, love nice young people. <laughs> um, that they wanted um, genuine Welsh as, as much as they could. Okay. So that was like, okay, great. So I don't have much time. You know, the budget's limited because it's a pilot. I, I'm just spreading my net widely in Wales. I know other young actors that are brilliant with accents, so I th threw a few of them in, one of which, probably Fryer, isn't Welsh, um, but perfect Welsh accent. So she got caught in the net. Um, and you know, and so, and I, I had hundreds and hundreds of self, self tapes coming in. So it didn't limit. And I contacted, um, I mean, over fifty drama groups, youth groups, um, in in Wales and Bristol. You know, thinking that's got that way as well. They might have the ability with the accent. And then when it came to meeting, I think from those hundreds, hundreds across the five characters, I probably met about a hundred maybe slightly less, but probably met about 100. And then I, the best ones of that, I probably whittled it down to about 50 across the characters to show the team. And then from that, then we met about 25 with the team. So those were our stages. Um, if you're talking about when something's like a countrywide search, like I guess on Tinstar would have been, um, the difference is, is what the budget can afford for you to be doing. So, you know, if you're doing um, a search, you know, if, oh, actually, no, this is a good comparison. So when we did um, the adaptation of um, uh, Peter Pan, um, Peter and Wendy um, for ITV with um, Stanley Tucci as Hook, we had loads of kids in that. Yeah. And then I can't remember if it was casting at the same time or had just been casting ahead was the big budget film Pan. Um, they had scouts everywhere. They were able to afford for having, you know, they had people whose jobs it was just to be going into schools. Um, going into groups, each person had like a different region and their database covered all of those different, you know, towns within that region. On a TV show, we don't have the, the time to be doing that or, yeah. or the budget. So um, I guess um, that sort of limits you in a little, a little bit, but I don't think it, I don't think the, the kids we found were any worse because of it. Just sort of focuses your search and you know so often you can do these huge searches and it's so wonderful when you just discover someone and they're not in a thing they don't have an agent but also everyone who does kids searches will also tell you that a lot of the time you do these huge searches and you end up casting kids that have already got agents because those agents have been out there doing those searches as well yeah. and have already yeah. sort of plucked that talent um, but you don't ever want to leave a stone unturned so you definitely still try and do it um, just so you always have to do what you, what you can do within the time 
and, and money that you the money that you have, but the internet has definitely um, made that big world feel much smaller and more yeah, accessible. Yeah, yeah. More accessible. Have you ever found someone completely unknown that you really, really loved, but then you actually really had to fight for? Mm. Yes, actually. Well, yeah. Um, but when, when you're talking kids, it's not because there's a famous kid they want to cast. It's no. just sometimes they just don't see what you see. And also, they've not seen as many people as you've seen. So you kind of know how brilliant this person was because you've seen hundreds and you're mm. like, trust me. But they've only seen five or six that you've presented. And they're like, is there anybody else? <laughs> um, so yeah, there has been a job where I remember very distinctly with this kid, I wrote on my thing, I found him like on the first audition page. And it was something like eight auditions later, he'd nearly even come out, he nearly at one point even came out for the mix. And I said, can I just have, I think he's, I think it's getting too much. We've just, we've over auditioned him. On this I mean, eight auditions. It was just, I mean, kid. I might be exaggerating, maybe it's like six, but it was a Still, lot. That's not much better, Still. Actually. It was a lot. They God, just I would kept, crumble in that situation. They just kind of kept bringing him in. But the problem was, is he'd, he'd clocked that he had this very unique ability to cry. And then it sort of became a bit of a trick. Right. And then the intention behind it was being lost. lost. Yeah. yeah. But I knew that on my first audition, for whatever reason, he was in touch, you know, I sort of later found out why as well. He, he was just really in touch with his emotions in a way that a lot of kids just aren't. Um, so I went and did another, I went with him. I mean, we were, we're, firm, we're firm friends, this Aww. child and I, by this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so anyway, so I worked on the scene with him and I felt like I claw back all the original magic and then we got him in and then he did get the part. Um, oh, so that was great. And actually it wasn't even for it, it was for a really important episode in something where the kid was like the lead in that particular episode, but it wasn't like they were the lead in every episode. So I was really pleased that I... I, I, I stuck to my guns, and also I think um, I am I'm, I'm quite good with children. Right. So, um, and you know, Sometimes the most brilliant directors you're working with, that doesn't if they, they might not necessarily be a kid person, so maybe they're just the, the language they use isn't as accessible in kind of getting that audition from them. Yeah, so, making them feel comfortable. Yeah, so I think um, sometimes it's it's been very useful if I'm always still with I'm following the kid through. Then when I'm with the director mm -hmm. as well, or especially you know when I was working with Rachel and. Um, you know, maybe I would do the pre-meets and she'd be in the room with the director, but she quickly, I think she quickly cottoned on that I am good with children, so I would always be in the room then with the audition for the kid, with the director. So if there was anything not quite working, I could kind of... Sneak in there. Yeah. Sneak in there with my... my, my Pied pamper. Pied of handling charms. <laughs> several different shows that you've worked on during that time. Mm -hmm. There's a real mix there of drama and, and, and comedy. Mm -hmm. I think when you kind of, when you moved into TV, comedy was more what you were focused on and then... Well, no, I didn't know. When I first moved, when I first got into the business, I thought I wanted to work in theatre. Like, ah, right. I, I was so pleased when I got the um, internship at Pippa's because theatre was my thing. You know, I've been doing this theatre reviewing, really wanted to work in theatre. I mean, I watch TV, same as everyone else, but not like, not avidly. Yeah. I'm um, just like, you know, a few of the kind of cult shows and then quickly work on Rachel Freck, I just, I just go and you have to watch everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which you do, you know, you think you know loads of actors, but you just knew the top drawers, you didn't really know yeah. anyone. So I was just devoured TV in those first days. And yes, yeah, so then I, and then, um, 
I mean, I'd always liked comedy, but it was just because Rach had worked on so many brilliant comedies. Um, well, she'd previously worked in the BBC's like in-house. Well, she yeah, she cast she she wasn't there that long, but she did cast The Office, and then from The Office, I think it was Green Wing, then Peep Show. You know, this like really a brilliant, amazing, run of amazing comedies. So her knowledge of comedy actors was you know really brilliant. And then, so I just sort of soaked that up like a sponge. And then she was quite picky about the comedy she worked on afterwards, because then I think she went to, I can't remember if it, her, it was before my time, but Little Dorrit was a big drama for her. She won an Emmy for that. And then she started kind of, you know, wanting to really mix comedy and drama up. So she was, did, you know, was quite selective about the comedy. Mm. Um, but because when we were working on comedy, in my opinion, we were always working on really brilliant, funny scripts. You know, totally. we did work with Julia Davis and John Morton on 2012 and W1A. So then I started to really appreciate what good comedy was. And then that's when I got the bug and was making sure I go up to Edinburgh every year. Um, but I also really I do love working on drama as well. Cause it's, it's, it's a, is there one that you prefer? There isn't really because... Is too hard to answer? It is too, it is. Com- comedies are for really fun auditions. You know, like it's... You, know, you get to laugh. You're laughing yeah. all day. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, like, you know, the other day we were auditioning... Um, scene and it was just like halfway through the day over all these kind of older actors like male actors about the sort of age of my dad and um I can't give away what, what we were doing but it was the scene was quite saucy and it was only afterwards that I was like I have a funny kind of a job yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting in the room bringing one man in after the other that the same age as my dad talking about sexual acts and <laughs> Right. It's just like, it's, you know, it's just a funny job, whereas drama can be like, you know, it can be very, well, the drama, I've done a lot of kind of quite heavy and gritty drama, so just before I started working on this comedy, I was working on a drama, um, the working title was called Left Behind, I'm not sure if it's still called that, and it's um, it's by the team who did um, uh, Murdered for Being Different and oh, Killed okay. My Debt, so right. really heavy, social, yeah. gritty right. realism. But then that was really fantastic as well because it's really wonderful when you met, meet these actors and they just, um, they really moved you. Go for it. You yeah. Murder for Being Different you. was amazing. I yeah, that. That was, all of those ones. Yeah. Murder for Being Different, Murder by My Father, Murder by My yes. Boyfriend. I don't think the same, I think the team did some of them but not all of them. Um, but all of those are, you know, really brilliant. So, you know, you got like a real kick in a different way out of seeing those actors. Then get different jobs, bring different challenges. You know, I was lucky enough to um, work across both genres with Rach and seemingly so that's the way it's Since, going for me yeah. as well. And I'd love it to continue that way. So at this point, do you feel like your career is going, do you think you've reached the point that you expected and do you think it's going the way that you wanted yeah, to I, go? Yeah, I'm really pleased. I'm like, people, you know, when you kind of make that jump, especially after, You've worked with, a, you know, a well-known casting director for a long time. The, the time was ready, you know, for, for me to, to go out and, and spread my wings. But I've been sort of quite spoiled, I think, on the shows I worked on with Rach. And I thought, oh, God, I hope, you know, just hope I can continue working on great projects. But maybe I might have to accept the old projects that I'm maybe not as passionate about because, you know, I need to, I need to keep working. Pay your bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have to say, touch words, um, I've worked on so really far. great projects, really great scripts, really great teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going going really well. So, I mean, um, I don't have my next job lined up, but, you know. <laughs> Any day. It's, day. Come it's a day to anything like acting in a way, isn't it? It is, actually. Like but the only difference is, I guess, unlike acting is if you get a job, then that's you covered for the next couple of months. Whereas 
obviously for acting that might just be a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at least when we get a job, you know, you're kind of booked for it's more of a chunk of time. A chunk of time. I just wanted yeah. to ask about when you were talking about the crossover earlier with, with drama and mm. comedy and just how you, you know, you've mixed actors yeah. and found that to be a really positive mm. experience. Did, is it something that you think like do you see an actor as a comedy actor and do you think people are just innately funny or do you think you can work with them and then yeah. make them better um i definitely don't think people have to just be comedy actors or drama actors no not at all unless you know i mean unless you're an actor that's maybe come up through the kind of sketch comedy route and then it's not that you're not capable of doing drama but it's just sort of learning that it's a totally different skill isn't it um in do people just have funny bones? Definitely though, some you know. people do just have funny bones, for sure. Um, but I don't think it's to say people can't develop them. I know when we did um, 2012 and W1A, that was always very specific because the writing has got these very specific beats and rhythm to it. Um, and really, people either just got the rhythms or they didn't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that could be very well-known comedy actors who just struggled a little bit with the rhythms. Um, and then there might be someone who comes in who you didn't really know at all from comedy and they just they just got the beat and the Smashing rhythms it. of the show. So different shows are different because that was so specific. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially if you think of all of those, um, uh, the scenes in those shows where they're all around a meeting room and everyone's just overlapping Chipping it in. with that. And yeah. it, none of it was improvised. Every yeah, but excuse me, but okay, okay, no, not not a problem. All of that, everything was very scripted. Um, so it was, it was a real challenge for, for all the actors when they had to come in and audition for those characters in a boardroom, and they've just got me or or Rachel reading all the other parts. <laughs> it was quite a these are yeah, sort of a bit frazzled yeah. when they when they when they left the room. But um, no, I definitely don't think I I don't I wouldn't rule I in my mind haven't ruled actors out as just being not funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, when you're seeing, again, when you're stuck for time and seeing actors for smaller parts, and if you didn't know them, I guess when I'm looking at their spotlight pages, if they've done some comedy, even if I haven't seen it, that would be a kind of an indicator to me that, oh, okay, well, they've been yeah. cast in that show and that show, which are great, so I think, they'll, you know, when you're just sort of trying to limit your 10 or 15 actors you want to bring in from the... 400 suggestions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if someone's got some previous experience in comedy, that's, that's always gonna, useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, the big question now, the heavy hitters mm. to, to, to the final straight. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, in comedy and drama, since you've kind of really worked across both, mm. is there someone that you would love to work with, like in terms of writer or producer or director? like? In, in both, if you can, who, who is someone? So what, say, say the question again. <laughs> so, in comedy and in drama. Oh yes, oh, comedy and in drama, okay, yeah. Who are the people that you would love to work with? Because um, like you said earlier, in comedy you've worked with Julia Davis Yeah, quite I'd a lot. love to work with um, Sharon Horgan. Okay. okay. I love everything that she's written. Um, yeah. yeah, I think she's... So that's your comedy pick? That's my comedy pick. Can, your drama well, pick? Well, my other pick... Is drama is comedy and drama, so I'd love to work with Phoebe Waller-Bridge as well. Okay. So she crosses over both, um, massively. Yeah. Over both genres. I mean, do you know? I'm just a fan Phoebe, of Phoebe. If you're listening, <laughs> Sharon. <laughs> you know my number. <laughs> um, my, I just love. Um, 
I love comedy. I love comedy and drama that blurs the line. So my favourite shows are always the ones that, which I guess you would call dramedy. Yeah. So you know, like my. How favorite. do you feel about that word? I just, that word doesn't bother me because okay. it is what it is. It bothers it? some people, doesn't it? Does. It does. <laughs> I mean, and that's why I sort of, That's why I kind of said it a bit like, mm, you know. But it, the word doesn't bother me. The point is, is life is a mixture of comedy and and tragedy, and for me, they're the most enjoyable, truthful programs. So when I look at the comedies I love, like Catastrophe or There She Goes, which um, lots of people didn't manage to see, but with Jess Hines and David Tennant, and um, actually produced by Merman, who, which is Sharon's production company. And if guys, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> you must. Okay. Um, it, 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 but each episode, and Mum, you know, um, each oh episode God, makes me Mom. cry and laugh in equal measure. Yeah, and, and cringe. You, and, yeah, but I mean, the, for, I mean, and there she goes. I, I sobbed in some episodes. Um, which is also really funny. And, and you've already worked on shows like that, haven't you? Because, I mean, like, Him and Her was... Him and Her, and In My Skin, which was the pilot um, I did for BBC Three, you know, that was a story about a, a comedy about a young girl in high school um, who at home has a very difficult um, home family life. Her mum's um, got bipolar and has had a mental breakdown, and her father's incredibly abusive. Um, but it was a comedy, mm -hmm. but it was also very sad and very moving. Yeah, and you know, and then on the drama side of things, when you look at Killing Eve, yes, it's hour long, it's a drama. It was so funny. It was so funny. You know, I think so... there's something really lovely about comedy in that way, and that's why I've always loved doing it, in, in mm. the sense that it really can get you through, laughter can get you through anything. Yeah, and often really when you look at you. the people who've written these um, pieces, they're often, you know, these kind of comedy tragedies, it's often based a little bit on sort of personal experience. Yeah. So they, they know that the two coexisted because they they experienced And then immediately it, it makes it so much more relatable for yeah. so many people. I'm not a big fan in terms of comedy and again it's just personal taste of boom, there's the line, there's the joke. Yeah. You know, that's that's not my personal taste. Although, you know, there are shows like Veep where every other line is just absolutely hysterical. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, one of my favourite comedies <laughs> yeah. as well. So it's not to say that I ha all my comedies have to have me crying. Um, but I think... You're a weeper, Rachel, is what you're saying, really. I just... <laughs> I just if you can be weeping and crying at the same time, yeah, you are a happy that, woman. That I'm happy. <laughs> and then I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, anyway. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, no, I was just going to say, so you mentioned flack earlier. Yes. That's what you were working on recently, how was that? Yes, yeah, so I worked on that um, at the, this time last year, we were just um, kind of getting close to casting, finishing casting on block one, and um, it's written by um, Ollie Lansley, who's, um, I mean, just incredibly talented. He's an, uh, he's an actor and he's a writer and he has his own theatre company, um, Enfante Ribla. Um, and yes, it's about the world of um, PR for celebrities. So it's a drama D. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, they, these PR people are either creating scandal to increase the, the profile of their celebrity clients or covering up the scandal. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, quite, and, it's um, quite out there. And working on that, which to me feels quite, um, I've watched it. Oh, good. All of it. Oh, well done. Yes. It's bingeable, isn't it? It is bingeable, bingeable. yeah. yeah. Um, and working on a show like that, which feels to me quite kind of British, mm. um, but then there's like It looks like a, American. It looks, it looks so, American. so shiny. It is very shiny. Yeah. And obviously, 
big American, or not technically, but people think of Anna Paquin. And yeah, see, so I mean, American. she's an Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so like having a, suddenly a big name in a and show. And Whitford from the West Wing. Who was great in that, that episode. That was one of my favourite episodes. It was very good. Yeah, yeah very I'm good. I'm a huge fan of his anyway. Yeah, but, me yeah. too. We're very yeah. excited <laughs> to, to get him. Um, what's, what's that experience like? Like having, what is... what in a way feels like a, a, not a small British show, but like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, and suddenly there's like a, there's big star power coming in, like, which is a quite a mod, quite a new yeah, thing. Yeah, and it, well, because of like the renaissance of TV, obviously yeah. lots of big names are being attracted to TV. I mean, Anna's involvement with the show, um, uh, what's the word? She, she was involved in the show before Rachel Freck and I were involved with the show. Right. So um, Anna came on board to play the lead role of Robin and was also one of the exec producers um, on the show along with her. Um, she has a production company called Chasm, so they were one of, they were kind of execing it as well. So we had them on board, and then obviously Hattrick were the producers. So her involved, so she was her team. And Hattrick have been developing it for quite a while. For a while, while they? yeah, yeah. been developed for quite a while. Um, I guess it just was one of the some of the, some projects happen like that, and some projects it just takes a while for all the kind years, of the cards yeah. you know to align. Um, and I'm glad they aligned at this time because you know some of the cards that we got now we might not have got we you know that we. That might not have been in the thoughts like around then, like Lydia Wilson as Eve. Yeah, it is fantastic. Um, I mean, we're actually, I mean, we've got a really, we've got such a good cast, and like, honestly, it's because of the scripts. The scripts were so brilliant, mm -hmm. so female orientated. All of our leads are female, and the, the male, we've got lots of great male actors, but in the supporting cast, playing the partners, playing the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the brothers, the husband, the husband. The boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> which you don't really, you know, see that often. So that was that was great, um, and you know, having Anna signed up already. Alongside of the writing, it makes it a more attractive project, you know, because you know, people are you know fans of her work, mm -hmm. and they they make it more you know in, intriguing to read, and you know, and then we got Sophia Canedo to play to play the boss, and again, interesting kind of role for her because she's such a fantastic drama actress. But she just showed herself to be really funny and cutting. Yeah. In this, I mean, she's hilarious as well. In our, I don't think it's on anymore. But um, Anthony Cleopatra at the National. She's just we don't really think of that play necessarily as being a comedy. No. But she plays Cleopatra as sort of this kind of spoilt queen. Right. Um, and it's incredibly funny in that as well. So yeah, it was it was um, it was different having the American contingency, but I I think it it definitely helped. Um, with the overall project, and you know, especially you know Bradley Whitford as well. So he was one of the later pieces because he's a guest part in it rather than yeah. in every episode. And you know, when you've got Anna Paquin, you've got Sophia Kennedy, you've got some really nice people attached to it. And then the scripts get sent, and he reads them, and he likes them. And and you know, it was a tough role to play because yeah. uh, I don't want to spoil be, it. He's got to be really hideously unlikable. He's not really a good guy. No. Um, and in the current climate as well, the storyline is you know for um, his storyline, a lot of actors. Could have been a bit hesitant to touch that storyline, mm -hmm. but I thought he played it so brilliantly. Well, he did. Whilst you said he was unlikable, he was also He's really so charming. charming. Yeah. So in is. a weird way, throughout this episode, you find yourself rooting for him to get away with it. Yeah. Which is mad, you yeah. know. And then you know. Anyway, again, Completely. I don't want to spoilers, but I just thought he he just pitched it perfectly. We're very lucky to. Well, get that's him. Josh Lyman for you, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Good old Josh. <laughs> Getting away with Good things. Good old Josh. <laughs> um, Josh from the West Wing. In case anyone's confused. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's me being Sorkin nerd, um, and two kind of 
to just jump back to some hypothetical questions to end with mm. for you, Rachel. Uh, is there mm. someone that you've always wanted to cast but have not yet been able to for whatever reason? Oh, oh my God, there's, there's must be hundreds. You've, well, I mean, you, you, you have cast no, some great, great people. No, but there'll be so many actors out there that I would want to is cast. Is there someone that you've like repeatedly got in but then they haven't booked? Like, oh, like I maybe can't a, say their name. But, 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 but maybe, maybe like a, a name that you're like, oh, we really want... Because I, I, I know that Claire Foy in an interview has talked about um, Nina Gold with The, the Crown and she, I think she said I, I, Nina had seen her like... 10 or 12 yeah. times. I mean, we must never forget that Rachel Frett gave Claire Foy her first big job as Dorrit. In we must Dorrit. not forget that. No. Thank you. Sorry, um, yes. Laura Michael, <laughs> yes. Credited to Rachel, Rachel Frett. Um, but no, that's true, actually. Um, if you're always, as an actor, if you're if you're always being brought in front by a casting director, but you're never booking the job, that's always then to external reasons, because a casting director wouldn't keep getting you in mm. if they didn't think you were right. Um, I mean, I'm I putting mean, you on the spot here. You really are. The I countdown mean, countdown clock is ticking. Mm, no, let's just say that then we have cast her. I've never cast Sharon Hogan. Sorry to keep going on about her, okay, but um, great. but equally, Sharon seriously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but she, I mean, I mean, she's too big making, her, um, too busy making her own jobs. You know, to uh, I don't think we've even been an opportunity when I was working with Rachel to bring her in. Do you have aspirations to do film in the future? I mean, yeah, definitely. I love TV. I love TV, so it's definitely. I know some people view it as sort of TV then film. Uh, Even not, now, not, no, I mean I maybe not so changed, much now. Definitely. But I just, well, mm, I don't know. I think within the industry, okay, still some that. people will be like, they're film actors now. Um, I, I don't personally view it like that at all. You know, t I love absolutely love TV. TV can often tell a better story because it's got a longer time to be telling it in. Mm. Um, Although that can sometimes be. A, <laughs> well, the drama, yeah, yeah. true. But I. Um, if you know if an opportunity for film came my way, I mean I've worked on some like low budget films. But I've not done a, I've not done like a, I'm not definitely not worked on a studio feature or anything, which I guess would be an interesting experience because from what I understand, obviously I think experience is the right yeah, word. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're not left to. I mean you're not left to your own devices in TV really either. But I don't think you're at all in in those sorts of big budget films, you yeah. know. So just to kind of finish with, um, bit of a big question, but. Basically, if you could kind of sum up, what, why do you love or sometimes hate oh, yeah. casting? I love it because it's, um, you basically, anything, I think anything working, when you're working in the arts of this, you turned, you turned a hobby yeah. into a job. You know, um, your day long, you know, you legitimately get to discuss, you know, TV shows and films and theatre and character and scripts, all the things I've loved my entire life, you know, all from being a kid and watching old films with my gran, um, to when I was at school, all, all of my interests. Um, I guess in terms of when you were talking about giving up acting as well, in terms of that, you haven't given up lots of it No, still. exactly. The only thing I don't physically get to do is be in front of the camera, but my lo my life is reading scripts. My life is going to the, I go to the theatre, you know, twice a week. Um, and that's, you know, and, and you get taken, you know, I mean, that would be, some people, you know, are excited for a whole year to go and see a play. And I get to go twice a week, every week, you know, more if I wanted. Um, and you get to work with really, you know, yes, of course, every job has difficult people that you encounter, but you also get to work with lots of really passionate people um, that also turned a hobby into a job. Um, oh my God, I think I'm so lucky. I would just, 
I just hate to do a job that I wasn't passionate about. And also the amount of, I mean, these are lifestyle jobs. So totally, yeah. yeah, you have, I mean, you have to love it because otherwise, why are you spending a massive proportion of your, of your life doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I love it. I mean, I, I was actually, I was listening to a, um, so on the radio or on a TV or a Facebook post or something and someone said if you could do your perfect job what would it be and I thought to myself well aside from like being paid to be on holiday all the time for a job <laughs> I was like I, I actually am doing my perfect job for me and that made me be like that's good isn't it you yeah. know that everyone else is on Facebook writing about all these other lives they wish they were leave, leading Whereas you were just sat there really smug. I was just thinking, guys, I'm really smug. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I already got on. this. You know, that makes it sound like it's, you know, just, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's not a walk in the park every single day, but it's, um, but it's if a that, good job. But that's how you have to feel about doing the jobs yeah. in those industries. If you don't feel like that, why like would you, you do it? And you feel proud, it. you know, yeah. when people ask you what you do, you feel proud to say what you do you know you post it on Facebook watch this show I've you know with you guys who've been in or or I've I've worked on and most people aren't posting about their about their achievements on their job on on Facebook that's true which is I mean so I guess it's gloating a little bit but uh, <laughs> but also I think the it's other allowed. thing is it's um I think for m- pretty much everybody in this industry with very few exceptions I think you feel like you've kind of can put the you know gloat a little bit of whatever because it's not by luck it's by sheer hard work and determination you've got to where you are and there's been so much shit there's been between. a lot of shit and like so you know, when I get a win I'm gonna shout about it right and you know all of everyone that's you know at the beginning you just you know you're not uh, you're not earning much for, for a really long time but it doesn't matter because better to be on the first run of a ladder you want to be climbing then halfway up one that you just really have no desire or interest in being. You can quote me on that one. <laughs> that, was a good I think that is, yeah, yeah, I think. I'm getting that as a tattoo yeah, later. Yeah. But it's a bit like when you mentioned that child actor earlier that you really loved. Yeah. I mean, that must be so satisfying. Yeah, I actually was clearing out some stuff the other day and I found the, um, the thank you card that um, he wrote me um, and there was like a letter from his mum in there and I was just like, I can't throw this away. So like, you know, you get lots of nice kind of letters and cards over the years and of course like you can't keep everything. But with that one, I was like, I've got to keep that one. Yeah. <laughs> just put it back in my little pot. So yeah, that Aww. was nice. <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you very, very much. You have been a delightful guest. Uh, giving lots of great insight. Yeah, um, apologies about the occasional weird noises. There's been, no, okay. it, we're, we're not in our usual uh, no. hub. Wouldn't be a theatrical space if you didn't hear people yelping from the Yeah, the well, we've got room. echoing. I think there might be a, the occasional... Scream. Scream. <laughs> uh, it's a creative hub, that yeah. is, for yeah. sure. The, the hum of air conditioning yeah. killing our, our voices. I mean, Emily and I are <laughs> screwed. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's you are fun. most welcome. <laughs> You have been listening to Average at Best. Thank you to James O'Brien for helping to write our opening jingle and to Katie Tweddle at Outfaced Illustrations for all the artwork you see on our social media. Speaking of which, don't forget to follow us on Instagram where we're Average at Best the podcast and on Twitter where we're Average Best Pod. We'd also love to hear from you, so why not drop us an email on listener at averageatbestpodcast.co.uk. Until next time, bye.